Well, this man's history is uh, as a clinical psychologist, actually. He, um, he started writing many years ago. This guy's got 20 books under his belt right now. And we're talking about Stephen White. Uh, Stephen, how are you this morning? I'm doing great. Good. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Good talking to you. I, um, I uh, let's see, I started the show about four years ago, and until I started this show, I don't think I picked up a book in years. <laughs> but I did read, I did read one of your books many years ago. I think it was Higher Authority. Um, that was one of your earlier books, I believe. It was. I think it was the third. Yeah. Yeah, so a long time ago. You've been writing for quite a few years, haven't you? I started kind of accidentally um, writing what became the first book, I think, in 1989. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Why'd you, why'd, you, uh, why'd you start? I mean, I always ask you guys this. What, what, was there something in your life that... Uh, uh, was this sort of an epiphany, or were you bored of what you were doing, or how'd you get into this business? It's an embarrassing story. Actually. Oh, good. I want to uh, hear it. <laughs> I'm sorry. In 1989, I had um, a thriving clinical psychology practice in Boulder, Colorado, mm-hmm. and it was thriving enough that I feel, felt the need to take advantage of what at the time was pretty revolutionary technology and move from um, my IBM Selectric typewriter to a word processor. (laughs) And I went out and bought my first computer so I could write psychology reports and and hopefully someday actually do my billing on on this computer. And I spent a lot of money and, (laughs) and ended up with this portable computer that was the size of a Samsonite suitcase. <laughs> um, and I bought a so- some software with it, including um, a word processing program that was called Write and Spell. Hmm. And it was either that or one that cost twice as much called Word Perfect. And I wasn't interested in the twice as much version. So uh, I bought the one that would soon disappear from the marketplace, and that was right and spell. And it was not intuitive, and I decided that in order to learn the intricacies of this program, I was going to have to write something, and something that wasn't serious, like a psych report. So I decided to write a story until I had worked out all the little two-finger codes and things that you had to memorize in order to do this word processing program. And I had this piece of a story banging around in my head from recent work that I'd done on the Ethics Committee of the Colorado Psychological Association. And I just started writing that to teach myself how to use my first computer. (laughs) And that's how I started. Wow. But what why did you why did you begin to i mean what inspired you to start this uh career of of writing thriller novels um deciding to start this career to me would be like um going out and buying lotto tickets and as a way of funding my retirement <laughs> um 
this career didn't feel like it was anything one could a plan for, b count on, um, c really intend to do. So I wrote because I actually started enjoying writing this story, and I kind of mastered the word processing program, but found that I was still getting up at five o'clock in the morning to write a few pages before I went into my office. Mm. And I remember about three months into the process, I I had a dot matrix printer that took forever to print out pages. And um, I printed out the pages, and they were about an inch tall on my desk. (laughs) And I thought, wow, this is beginning to look suspiciously like a book. (laughs) And that's the moment that I thought, well... If I keep going, I might have a book. But the fantasy about publishing, let alone career, was was still far down the road. Mm-hmm. Uh, this this fantasy, um, you uh, as a clinical psychologist, you've got you've got uh, patients that live in fantasy worlds, right? Um. Yeah, I tried to keep a pretty healthy practice, so (laughs) (laughs) I I tended to limit the number of patients who spent too much time in fantasy world, but but yes. Um, Did did, uh, Jonathan Kellerman ever ever, uh, sit you down on the couch? And I'm and, and I'm referencing to this um, uh, pediatric psychologist you worked with early on um, in Denver, right? Actually, no. The story oh. of John and I is, mm. is pretty interesting. I I ended up after my training um, working in pediatric oncology psychology. Basically, um, it's mm. psychologists who consult in pediatric oncology work in children's hospitals. And in the mid-90s, excuse me, in the late 80s, early 90s, it was a a nascent field. There were fewer than a dozen of us around the country. And I was hungry for knowledge from my few peers. And I actually invited myself out to um, Los Angeles Children's Hospital for a visit because probably the most successful program in the country at that time was the one a young psychologist, he was as young as I was, um, named Jonathan Kellerman, was running at L.A. Children's. And he was gracious enough to let me invite myself out. And and I went to L.A. for a few days to observe his work and meet his staff and see what they were doing. And I was impressed. Um, At the end of the visit, we were sort of having a... um, a say goodbye meeting, and I asked him what was next for him, and he said, well, I'm actually going half-time. I'm thinking about um, trying my hand at writing novels. And my thought was, this guy's crazy. He was at the top of this little field. He was one of the youngest associate professors in the United States in psychology at that point had published in major publications and had an incredibly bright academic future. And he told me he was going to write mysteries. And I thought he was nuts. (laughs) And 
this was probably got early 80s. I've got my dates mixed up. And um, we stayed in touch professionally a little bit, um, but we never talked about writing again. And a few years later, I was walking through the Tattered Cover bookstore in, uh, in Denver, and there was a big stack of books um, right in the middle of the store, prominently placed, and it was called When the Bow Breaks, and it was John Kellerman's first book. And wow. I got chills, and I thought, he did it. Wow. The guy did it. Um, and, you know, I don't, I don't need to tell your listeners what a remarkable career John's had, but, um, you know, our paths crossed as, as psychologists, and John and I have never been in the same room since as writers. Wow. Wow, that's amazing. Holy mackerel. Um, well, he started writing. Well, let me, let me pull back. Uh, you've heard the phrase, write what you know, okay? Yeah. Um, okay. You get into this gig, and you're a psychologist. Write what you know. So when you started writing, um, when you were going through the process of developing these characters, um, I, I suspect you pulled some stuff out of your practice, but also uh, you must have an incredible imagination because you've, you've knocked out 20 books for crying out loud over your career and all of them, uh, uh, all of them good thriller novels. So... How did you craft your characters? Um, was it easy? Uh, did you, you know, did you just pull stuff up out of your out of your head? Um, um, did you attack this in a uh, uh, an analytical uh, uh, analytically? Did you attack this analytically? How how how'd you how'd you how'd you craft your characters? You're very kind by making me sound much more volitional than I was. Um, keep in mind, I'm the guy who sat down to write a story to learn how to use software. Right. Um, <laughs> the thought that I was crafting characters never crossed my mind. Never. The thought that anybody would ever read this little story <laughs> never crossed my mind. Gotcha. Um, I was aware of what John was writing at the time, and although our backgrounds were incredibly similar, um, I recognized right away that there was no point in writing about pediatric oncology, that right. he covered that. <laughs> and so I, I sort of cut that part out, and my practice at the time I started writing was primarily an adult practice um, with a relatively healthy population in Boulder, Colorado. and. You talk about write what you know. Mm. Um, my main character was a clinical psychologist about my age mm. who had a healthy adult practice in Boulder, Colorado. Mm. I did not stray far right. from what I knew. Right. Um, in reality, if I had known that I was writing for publication, if I had known that I was writing um, for the long term, if I knew about the affection that readers and publishers have for series characters, I would have been much more volitional because the thriller opportunities for a small town shrink 
are really, really limited. Um, and I quickly boxed myself into a corner with the selections I had made in this uh, early story. You know, I used to um, I used to laugh at at the genius of of some of my peers um, who had obviously gone into this with a long game in mind, and I had not. So I I was. I was tied to this guy and tied to his few friends, and I was forced, as my career allowed me to continue writing, to develop stories that um, really took place on the edges of a relatively constrained life um, for this main character I developed. But it wasn't volitional, it wasn't intentional. I had no idea I was writing a series until... I got to the third book, um, and, you know, I, I consider myself so fortunate that despite my ignorance at the beginning of my career, I've been able to, you know, patch this together and, and make a living doing this for so long. Hmm. Hmm. Your, um, your book, Higher Authority, um, is is set in the West here. Um, we've got some uh, we've got some religion thrown in there. A little bit. A little bit. <laughs> uh, why the Mormon Church? So, are you familiar with Bausher Khan? Bausher Khan. Bausher Khan is the national, well, international um, annual conference of mystery and thriller writers and fans okay. that meets someplace for this odd celebration that takes place every year, typically in a hotel in a, in a large city. And I was completely ignorant about it. And um, my publisher told me after I had written the first book that I needed to go to BoucherCon. Mm. Um, think Comic-Con, but, mm-hmm. you know... <laughs> You know, for people who read, it's, <laughs> it, it's not as interesting as um, you might think. But anyway, I, I agreed, and I decided I would go to my first BoucherCon um, in the summer before my first book came out. Um, it was done, it was in publication, and it was in Pasadena, California. And um, I'm going to date myself here, but I had already started writing the second book, um, and I was thinking about the third book. And Bowser Khan, I quickly decided, basically took place in hotel bars. And I was in a hotel bar after the day's sessions had ended with a bunch of writers who I was just meeting for the first time. And I was enjoying myself. And there were televisions on in the bar. And it was the week of the Anita Hill hearing. Sure, uh, I Clarence remember. Thomas, I, absolutely, I remember that clearly. Yeah, mm-hmm. and Tom Brokaw was on, mm. and he was interviewing somebody or talking about something, and um, he was talking about what the Republican strategy was going to be if um, the Democrats managed to scuttle Clarence Thomas's nomination, and he said. 
I'm hearing from the Hill that the next name that will be nominated is Orrin Hatch. Hmm. Orrin Hatch. And I thought, well, that would be interesting. And at that moment, I thought, wow, you know, if you put a Mormon on the Supreme Court, it would be a really interesting story nationally. And I started talking, thinking about it at that point, um, and decided to go in that direction. I had a brother who lived in Utah, and I started making trips to um, to Salt Lake to, to do some research. I actually researched for almost a year before I started writing, hmm. because I started off completely ignorant about the culture, mm-hmm. about the religion, mm-hmm. um, about the mesh of the culture and the religion, and... Um, I, I treated it very much like I would treat um, a new topic in graduate school. I just I read and read and read and interviewed and interviewed and um, ended up with um, at least a narrow window into a fascinating Western culture. Yes. Yeah. yeah I came out here from the East Coast um, 25 years ago. Uh, grew up in Connecticut. Well, I spent some time in San Diego after the um, service but um, uh, when I first came to Idaho, I was I was turned around a little bit. It's like, what goes on out here, you know? Um, but you know, as I as I spent time and allowed myself to get to know people and whatever, it's uh, you know, I don't I don't wear any I don't wear any blinders on myself. Um, I'm, I'm who I am, and I stick to who I am. Uh, but it is it is a unique and different culture out here. It re- it really is. Um, and I don't like talking about religion anyway, so I'm going to get off that. <laughs> it's fine. I think, you know, what's interesting to me about that topic was that there is a cultural island in the middle of the West. Yes. That's different from the rest of the West and incredibly different from the rest of the country. Yes. And I think one of the wonderful things that um, mystery and thriller fiction does is provide people a way to learn about those kinds of cultures in um, painless ways mm-hmm. and in reality in, in relatively non-controversial ways and and I actually love learning about things that I didn't know anything about and writing about things mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. I previously didn't know anything mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. so what are you doing nowadays bud I mean uh, uh, you've got 20 books under your belt you well, you've been writing since the late 80s. Uh, 89, like I said, was your first novel. But So what are you doing now? Um, well, as, as some people in publishing told me when I made the decision, um, I committed suicide about 18 months ago. So um, my career is, is on a strange trajectory. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a successful series. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and I decided after I finished the 18th book to <laughs> conclude it, mm. to bring it to a an intentional end. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, I wrote a two-book conclusion to the series that mm-hmm. um, satisfied almost no one, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. Um, brought it to a place that, that I wanted to bring it. And that last book, it's called Compound Fractures, was... Um, 
published last year in, in 2013. The paperback will be out in a couple of months, and mm. um, that will be the completion of this incredibly long journey that started with that accidental first novel. Yeah. And um, the what's next part is, is kind of up in the air. I'm writing every day, mm. but I'm writing different things. Mm. Um, and, you know, at some point I'm... I'm either going to be successful with those or, or move on to something else. But I'm, I'm somebody who does not shy away from um, professional uncertainty. I've had a lot of careers in my life, and um, I'm enjoying what I'm doing to try and establish the next one. Hmm. That's kind of a neat way to put it. I went into... <laughs> Uh, I'm I'm 60 right now. I've had three uh, midlife crises. <laughs> one at 40, one at 50, and one at 60. <laughs> but I got to tell you, um, I I do this job, let's say, uh, for nothing. I I don't make a dime off of this. I just really enjoy talking to uh, intellects and uh, intellects like you guys. Um, I I love talking to uh, you as people. Um, uh, you know, all you, all you guys are, uh, all you thriller writers are kind of uh, out of the same mold, um, creative, uh, very disciplined. Um, and, and so I do it because I, I enjoy it. I'm not, uh, I don't know where it's going to take me, um, but I'm definitely leaving the door open. It sounds like you're leaving the door open too, which... I am. Can, can I riff on something you just said? Please. Um Thriller writers, um, the word you used. Was ah. And it's it's 100% accurate, but it's 100% misleading. Hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You and I have a, um, a, I don't know if you could call it a friend, but an acquaintance we both have incredibly positive feelings about, and that's Jeffrey Deaver. Oh, absolutely. Um, I, I adore Jeff, and um, I met him obviously as a writer very many years ago and have had some wonderful social times with Jeff. Um, Jeff is an incredibly disciplined writer and disciplined with a capital D. Mm-hmm. Um, he has a method that he is attached to and he applies and works beautifully for him. Mm-hmm. And when Jeff and I first started talking about the way writers write, um, I listened to Jeff describe his method and his manner, and I was thinking, oh, my God, I'm doing it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, I share discipline with Jeff, but I share virtually nothing else. Hmm. Um, and over the years, I've, I've asked writers about this. Um, whenever I have a spare moment, very many of those conversations taking place in bars at Bashercons. Um, about what their discipline is. Mm. And everybody has one. Mm -hmm. But the variety of disciplines is astonishing. Going from someone like Jeff, who is a maniacal outliner, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and knows his entire story, Mm -hmm. and has outlined his entire story before he puts word one on a manuscript page, to someone... I'm not going to use names, but a, a very successful mystery writer who's held incredibly high esteem um, in the field, who 
I asked him once how long it took him to write his most recent book, and he said, 10 days, two weeks. And I said, what? <laughs> and he said, it, it's misleading. I, I think about it in incredible detail mm. for most of a year mm. and have it almost all in my head. But I can't write well on a daily basis. So mm. I check into a hotel mm. and I stay in the hotel and write nonstop. Mm. And, you know, he said some of them take a week, some of them take three weeks, but, you know, 10 to 14 days is about average. <laughs> and when you think about it, it's an outrageous discipline. Oh, that's, just, yeah, that's insane. It takes me 10 to 14 days to even get through a book. <laughs> But it's not my discipline. So right. I think I think it's it's very interesting to to do what you do and to talk to writers and and to find out um, how they manage to get a story on the page. When I hear from young writers and I ask them about their process, um, what I'm listening for mostly is to find out a if they have a discipline and what it is. Um, and the ones that I worry for the most are the ones who don't have a discipline. Hmm. You know, some people will write every Friday, but they'll write for 10 hours, and it's every Friday. Yeah. And to me, that's a discipline. Yeah, it is, yeah. yeah. But when I hear a writer who says, you know, when I'm inspired, I do X, mm. I worry that, that that's not going to lead mm-hmm. where they hope it's going to lead. Right, right. Yeah, Deaver and I were talking. I've, I've talked to him a number of times. I, I, I really like Jeff. I like his head. I like uh, how he does things. I like the fact that he cooks and he drinks wine and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, and and uh, he, he told me he'll spend six months on the outline. You know, I mean, that's, that's, that, that, that's, that's, that is as insane as sitting down – and writing a book in, in six to ten days, you know. You take someone like Baldacci, he knocks out two books a year now. I mean, the guy is, I don't know how he does it. I don't know how any of you guys do this. Um, yeah. And I have envy for Jeff because when he sits down, he knows the story. Yeah, he does. I, I never know the story in advance. Hmm. And I, you know, I think about how much easier my job would be if I could create it in advance. But I can't. Right. I've tried. I can't. Right. Hmm. Well, I hope to see more of you down the road. Uh, let's see where Compound Fractures leads us, huh? We will see. It's, it was a conclusion, and there will be yeah. a, a fresh beginning of some kind coming up next. Huh. Good. Hey, um, we've got a minute or two left. Um, what, uh, uh, what do you like to do? Uh, you got any other interests? Other, well, of course you have other interests, so... So what do you do when you're not writing? How do you how do you live your life? We can stay on the Jeffrey Deaver theme, and um, <laughs> you know Jeff and I actually initially connected as friends over food and wine oh, um, wow, really? in an incredibly memorable debauched evening in New Orleans. To be honest, nice, nice. Um, one of the most memorable food and wine experiences of of my life. It involved very, very good champagne and um, more good food than either of us should have eaten. But um, I um, I put myself through college and graduate school working in restaurants, and mm. that included 
time managing a restaurant in Berkeley, California, and then cooking and running the cafe at Chez Panisse. And um, <laughs> later on in Boulder, I worked in restaurants, and yeah. I have this this love of food and wine and coffee that mm. um, has endured through uh, all of my life. So that's always been a, a big part of, of who I am. Nice. Um, do you cook? I do cook. Oh, look, at this is killing me. Um, I've been cooking since I was five. Um, connected with Jeff about the cook and the wine and blah, blah, blah. Um, I started teaching some Italian immigrant cooking last year at the university, and I'm, I'm, I've been asked to get come back and uh, go on the schedule in September. So I threw this out to Jeff, and I'll throw, the, throw this out to you. Um, Jeff loves to cook. You love to cook. I love to cook. You know, out there in the world, there is not a cooking show with authors yet. <laughs> and <laughs> I'm trying to figure out a way on how to put that together. I think it'd be a kick in the butt. One of the interesting things to me about us, and I think the reason that there has been um, no successful way to introduce authors to the public on camera in any form is because, by and large, we're a self-selected group of recluses. Yes. <laughs> yes. You know, I went from a long career, 15, 20 years, where I spent all my time in a room with one other person as a psychologist, and I picked the only alternative career where I spend all my time in a room with nobody else. I love it. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, you you sure as hell knew, knew your path when you started, boy, I tell you. Yeah, that's, you that, find, that is very comical, actually. <laughs> when you find someone like Jeff, who is naturally garrulous, um, he is the exception and not the rule. And I think that even though I think you'd have no trouble finding plenty of writers who can cook, finding a whole group of writers who are natural and great on screen might start and stop with Jeff Hubert. Well, yes, but if we had enough wine, we could just get sure. drunk and let the damn thing go where it goes, you know? <laughs> oh, God. There's a subset of writers who do great on the road and in front of audiences. Oh, sure. sure. But, you know, it's, it's, to me, it's the exception and not the rule. Most of us, you know, by and large, yeah. are people who live in our heads and, and um, work by ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> I certainly respect that. Folks, we've been talking with a prolific writer, 20 books under his belt, Stephen White. Compound Fractures coming out in August and on paperback. So we're going to try to pick this up in August and talk to Stephen again. Stephen, I, uh, I really appreciate the time you spent with me this morning. I had a very enjoyable talk, by the way. Talked about more things than I usually do or get a chance to. So I feel like connected with you a little bit. I, I appreciate it. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity.